Good morning once again. So uh, before we go on and study this passage that we have together, I just want to spend some time. As you know, there has been a lot of tragedies around the world. There was a second Sri Lanka bombing that just happened not too long ago. And even yesterday, there was a shooting at a synagogue in California. So... Let's spend some time as we pray for those who are affected by these tragedies. Father God, we come to you um, in sorrow, in distress, and just in questions, Lord. Uh, as we witness these things that are happening in the world, that all these um, violence, murders, prejudice, persecution, not just the Christians, but other people of faith, Lord. We come to you for forgiveness. Uh, we humans are prideful, we are selfish, and we're inadequate. We pray that you continue to be the Lord over our lives, that in seeking you, in understanding you, and knowing you, Lord, that we will see that this world is greater, has, has a bigger purpose than just about ourselves, that as we continue to live out love, continue to live out grace, extends forgiveness, that we can change this world to be more like that kingdom you have promised us. So Lord, may you be with the families who are affected. May you grant them comfort. And may you also grant healing to those who are currently injured and in serious conditions, Lord. May you continue to listen to our prayers. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So today, the title of our sermon is a little different and this is a word that if you go to the internet, it, it shows up a lot, this word called yeet. And even as someone who tries to be up to date with the recent happenings on the internet, I don't really quite understand what this word is like. Everyone just says it all the time. And even we have, we, we know people whose nicknames actually contain the word yeet in it. And I'm like, what's so special about this word? And apparently... As I was doing some research on what exactly the word eat means and um, why people use this word and why it became popular, it didn't get anywhere. And from what I was researching, this word came from a viral video that came out and there's like this crowd of people that are dancing and then there's this black teenager that was going through this uh, dance routine. And then eventually people were just yelling the word yeet. And then they were like dabbing and doing stuff like that. Yes, I finally did a dab on a service. But Kenneth's not here, but yeah. So um, so uh, as I looked at Urban Dictionary, it says that the word yeet is just a very versatile word that can be used as an exclamation, a verb, or a noun. That doesn't really say much. Like, what does it really mean when you say a word that can be used in other different contexts? But as I think about it, isn't it the same on, when we talk about the word worship? Like, what exactly is worship? We just say it is a versatile word that we can ex- say as an exclamation, like, worship! Or, we go worship! Or, this is worship. It's just a very versatile word that we Christian like to say, go worship, or like, we're going to worship. What does it really mean? And so, for today and next Sunday, we'll, we'll, we'll use this time to 
look more as to what exactly is the concept of worship. And even for today, we're going to look at the concept of corporate worship. Why does it matter that we come together and worship together in a group setting? Like, why can't we just go up on our own to the mountains and worship the Lord by ourselves? Like, why do we have to make time to wake up early on a Sunday morning to drive all the way to this building and then get together and do these kinds of things that we do. So if you ask anyone, like, what exactly is corporate worship, they'll usually give you these four different things. It might be about praying together. It might be about singing songs of praise together or listening to some person up on the stage yapping on some idea on the Bible or some other people that comes up and share about things that happen in their lives. But sometimes that's how we also evaluate how good worship is and, and, and we get pretty critical and things like that where we might think, oh, this kind of prayer sucks. I don't want to pray like this. I don't want to come together and pray. I don't want to pray on my own. I don't want to pray in silence or, or whatever it may be. Or I don't like this genre of music. I don't like the style of music. I don't like hymns. I don't like drums. I don't like electric music. Like on and on and on, right? Or, or, or I don't like the way this person preaches or the topic that he or she preaches or, 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 or this this idea is too too much for me that I don't want to invite my friends to hear about this. Or even at the end, like sharing, like, oh, too much sharing, too little sharing. And the list goes on and on and on, right? And a lot of times we get to a point where we get so critical that as a person coming to worship, we can't help but feel a bit of a consumer mentality that I feel I can... I can do better. I, I don't deserve what I'm experiencing for putting in an hour of my time and feel like I didn't get what I invested back or what I put into. And so as a result, we try to pinpoint what went wrong and we try to figure out, okay, like, is it the music that got us into so riled up about this sucks or like, is it the the topic of the sermon, is it this or is it that? And as a result, we, we, we start to develop something like a spiritual callus where we get really numb. That because we have been experiencing an unpleasant or a kind of meh kind of experience for, for a good period of time, then eventually, even if that day, something is different, something is good. We, we don't really see that because we're so used to that one general experience that we experience all the time. Or, or even to the point where we don't even know what we really want. Like we might ask people, okay, so how can we have better worship? What makes better worship? What can we do to get our congregation excited to worship? And then people might be like, I don't know, like stuff, things. Something different? Well, what different? <clears throat> Doing what differently? They're like, I don't know. Well, why don't you tell us? And we're like, we're in this together. So a lot of times we get stuck and we don't know what we should do. And of course, there's that easy answer. Like, there's an easy way out. You might say like, oh, Sunday church service are not 
about you. Like you shouldn't be <coughs> focusing on yourself. And so tough it out, listen and do things, and then you'll be fine. But I tend to find that a little bit of an easy but irresponsible way of answering the question. That a lot of time we just say, just get better, just get good, just just try harder, and then you 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 appreciate worship. But a lot of times, it's more than that. <clears throat> a lot of times, Sunday church service is not just about telling people it's not about me. And this is where the church sometimes can do better. And I realize that as I reflect on this topic, as I keep praying about it, as I keep discerning, the issue is not so much that the church failed us on what it offers. Like The problem isn't on whether we had good music, good sermon, good sharing, but it's that the church never really does well, and this is not just VCBC, but a lot of churches in general, in preparing people for worship. Not just that 10 minutes before worship to tell people to prepare their hearts, but the idea of what a person should do as they come gather here to worship as a community. What does it really mean when we come together and worship this Lord as one? Of course, I'm not saying that we don't have to care about the sermon, the music, the sharing, the prayer. Like There is a need for us to strive for excellence and to do the best of our abilities. But it's not so much about how preferences are, are met or how some people want something and then we just appease them by doing something. It's more than that. And so here we are coming into the idea of corporate worship. And this is even what Psalm 103 is trying to remind us. It was asking this question that, what exactly is corporate worship? Is it the pinnacle of our Christian life? Or is it the foundation of our Christian lives? Is it the pinnacle as in everything we do builds up throughout the seven days, so that we get to worship, and this is where everything comes together. Our experiences on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, our joys, our struggles, we bring it all into Sunday, and then we expect we're fed, and then we're good to go, and we go back to Sunday, I mean Monday morning. Or is it the foundation where everything we experience, everything we do in, in our lives outside the church. Everything we pay attention to, to God, built on the Sunday morning, and that without it, none of these things will come into fullness. All these ideas, the society, the service things that we do, the relationships that we encounter, or our own vocation, these things are based on the foundation of our worship. So which one of it is Sunday worship. What, which one of it is corporate worship? And so then, Psalm 103, <clears throat> it says that, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, bless and bless His holy name, Lord, O my soul. Of course, we just sang the song that based exactly out of this um, passage. 
by Matt Bratman. And we think about the idea of worship as blessing God and receiving God's blessing. But when you think of it, this passage originates from one of the corporate call to worship that when the people in Israel, when they come together, they want to <clears throat> remember what had happened leading up to this time, like from all the way back in Egypt when they were slaves. And then they crossed the, crossed the Red Sea so that they're no longer slaves to the times when they're wandering in the desert for 40 years. Kind of like slaves, but they realize they don't have to be slaves anymore because of God. To crossing the Jordan, where they're now really living out as the chosen people of God. To having their own land, their own kingdom, their own kings, their own territory to stay home. Worship for them is about remembering who this God is. Remembering how they got to where they are. And remembering this God promise that even 50 years, 100 years, 1,000 years, this God will still be the same God because just as the sun has risen and set, this God will be the steadfast God that will continue to do the same thing. And that's why as this psalm goes on, it reminds people, it keeps telling the, corporate, uh, the congregation of worship that to not forget who God is, this is the very same God who forgives all your sins. The very same God who heals all your diseases. The one who redeems your life from the pit. The one who crowns you with love and compassion. The one who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And so, Worship is not so much about technicalities. It's not so much about some grand idea that we need to strive for. It's not about some new insight that we need to do. <clears throat> but rather, just as we're created, human beings are story animals. We're created to create collective experiences together so that in our experiences, we build and encourage each other to see something greater in their lives. And in our Christian context, we know that this greater thing is this God that created us, that loves us, and will continue to bless us. And so, coming together in worship, these things that we do, are ways to remind us who God really is, and what God really can do, and what God will continue to do as we continue to live out our lives in this world. Worship, then, is rooted in narratives with God. Worship is about rooting our community, rooting our very self, and rooting our own stories with the narrative of God. Sometimes people might ask, like, the Bible was written thousands of years ago. What does that have to do with me? And even New Testament, like these stories about the church in Rome, in, in the Roman Empire, in, in Galatia, in Colossae, in all these places. What does that have to do with myself? And that's the purpose of worship. So that as we hear these things, these prayers that people have shared in their lives, 
Because each prayer, each genuine prayer comes from a story, an encounter, a struggle that people are experiencing. These music that we sing, that most songs are written with a story in mind, with an experience in mind, with a future that they're looking toward to. Or these sermons that people preached out on, they are their own experiences that they internalize and try to connect the story with the stories that happened thousands of years ago in Israel, in the Roman empires, and so on and so on. And even sharing, these are people's authentic stories that they're trying to share to help us remind ourselves that this God is real. Not just in their own stories, but in our own stories as well. And so, in short, corporate worship is not just about consuming. In corporate worship, we don't consume worship. We're not here coming to expect that we get something out of. We're not coming to expect that there's a product that we can evaluate and say there's a good product and we had a good time because this product was good. But whether worship consumes us, as we come to worship, we're enveloped in this story, this greater story of God, that we realize that we're not an isolated human being that experienced God, but that there are other people going through their lives and they are either seeking God or they already sought God or they already experienced God so that we can be encouraged that as we go out and live our lives, we can see this God as real. This God as one that we can share with other people. And so, maybe worship isn't so much like a word that has no meaning, that is very complicated, that, that, that is something that, that kind of like a word yeet, that it means nothing, and, and a word that we just throw around, that, that we don't really think much about. And as I dig through in my research, I realized that there's something called, really weird, called contronyms. Does anyone actually know what the word contronym means? Like C-O-N-T-R-O-N-Y-M? So for those who are majored in English, they, they might have heard this word before. So contronym is actually uh, a term for words that have opposite meanings. Like they can mean one thing and the opposite thing at the same time. So for example, the word to cleave can mean breaking something in two. But it can also mean cleaving together, putting two things together. Or the word left is also means something, something to, that, that was remained, that was left over, or, or something that you intentionally put there for someone else. And so, maybe worship in itself is a contronym. Worship is the idea to witness, that as we witness, we're not just people sharing stories with other people. When we come to worship, part of this activity is to hear about the stories of other people, to hear and to be encouraged and be excited because of these things that people share that ties to our stories. But in the same time, worship is also witnessing, using our own stories. Now that we're encouraged to go out into this world as we are more attuned 
to what God is doing in our world, that we can also use our own stories to witness to other people, to show them that this God that we are experiencing can be real in your life when you put your heart to pay attention to Him. And so to close off, I would just like to share this little story that um, Matt Ratman wrote when he was writing this song, 10,000 Reasons. David lists in Psalm 103 several reasons why his heart is full of worship for God. He forgives our sins, heals our diseases, redeems our lives from the pit, satisfies our desires, and gives us righteousness and justice. So Matt Ratman and Myron made a list of their own, noting that they were barely scratching the surface of God's work. The point behind the song is this, explained Ratman. If you wake up one morning and you cannot think of a reason to bring God some kind of offering or thanks of praise, then you can be sure there's something wrong at the end of your pipeline and not his. We live beneath an unceasing flow of goodness, kindness, greatness, holiness, and every day we're given reasons after reason why Jesus is so completely and utterly worthy of our highest and best devotion. Let's pray together. Father God, we give thanks because you are the one worthy of worship. And as we continue to explore as a community, as we worship together as a community, may we see your story of creation, one that is rooted in our own stories as well, that this story of yours is also part of our story now, that we can join and see you as real, and we can continue to be witness of your stories and also witnessing your stories in this world. We thank you. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.